Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. We're back recording an update, as we do every week. And Katie's going to tell me what's going on in Iowa. My kids brought home germs that seem to have turned into a sinus infection. I have. Every time this happens, I wonder how the hell that much shit fits in my head. Like, it seems like a lot more stuff comes out than could possibly fit in there. I don't know. Um, yeah, but it's it's real kind that they've learned to share so well that they bring home their little kid germs. So gross. That is very nice. It snowed last night or Saturday night and part of yesterday and part of last night, I think. And is it sticking around? Yeah, but it's like an inch or an inch and a half. Right. But it was enough that both kids had to put on their snow pants and go out and try to make a snowman yesterday. And Mm -hmm. the boy child came in and got the snow shovel and said he was going to go plow and went back out and went to one of the old tractors in the yard and hooked his his little red wagon up to it and then was plowing snow into the little red wagon. Nice. Yeah. It's kept him real busy for quite a while. Yeah, that's right. Cows are out on the hayfield which is nice. They're out doing cow stuff, which is always good. Um, What you want cows to do. It is what we want cows to do. Cow stuff, that's exactly what they should be doing. Clearly, I've taken a lot of cold medicine and not slept very well. So, yeah. How are things in Canada, Arlene? Oh, things are fine. We are entering, um, I'm not really sure the term for it. We'll call it seminar season maybe um we're starting to uh book ourselves in for lots of educational opportunities so often with a free lunch so that's an added bonus but last week my husband and i went to one um so it was sponsored by a robot company or robot milking company so we were learning about robots not that we have them and not that we're getting them right away but you know always good to learn stuff for maybe the future or maybe not always just good to learn stuff And then this week, I'm going with a couple of girlfriends to a calf care seminar. So I'll be learning about feeding calves and keeping them healthy. So yeah, just the time of year where there's slightly less to do in terms of crops. And so there's a little bit more free time in the middle of the day for that kind of stuff to happen. So that's some of the things. And it's birthday season in our house. So we had one turn 13. So then we had a birthday party for him. And then... The youngest is turning nine, so we still have one single-digit non-teen in the house, so organizing a party for him next weekend. So, yeah, just trying to fit in all the celebrations and things and starting to think about Christmas, too, which seems far away, but I know is really not because every year I get into this headspace of, I'll think about Christmas once all the birthdays are done, but then our last birthday is the 8th of December, and then there's not really much time left, so I should be about all of the things yeah yeah. i find myself really 
torn between wanting to be super Christmassy and like, you know, it's the most magical time of the year. And also I'll be behind the couch until like December 27th. Please don't get me anything because then I'll have to get you something. And then if I get you something and you don't get me something, then you're going to have to get me something. And like, let's just agree not to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'll get you a random present in June. How's that? Yeah. Like, I feel like the Christmas gifting season easily goes from about the end of August to like basically the school year, like the end of August to the end of May is easily still Christmas. Sure. It all counts, especially if you're crafting. I realized this year, though, I'm I'm hosting a, a fancy cookie party. We'll see if anybody shows up. But there's all this pressure, I think, as parents to bake with our kids, which is all is all well and good. I, I do. I enjoy cooking with my kids. Do you? Really? Yes. Yes, I love it, Arlene. Okay. I believe you. I'm just, I'm going to say that I don't. Because <laughs> I always thought it was one of those things that, and I did it when they were little, and I tried to enjoy it. But I will admit it was something that was really challenging for me to enjoy because I'm, and I'm not a germaphobe, but like the hands and the, yeah, putting everything in their mouths and the stuff getting dumped on the floor. And yeah, I, uh, I tried to like it. We've, we're in a very good place with the girl child because the guinea pigs need fruit and vegetables prepped twice a day. And so she and I have been, you know, working on cutting things and, and washing vegetables and all that. But in a way that I am not under a time constraint and the stove's not on and if something gets dropped on the floor and you're not eating the thing yeah exactly um but i do i at least enjoy the idea of baking with my children okay but that's better you know when i look in a magazine and i see like a fancy hot cocoa spread with like cocoa and different flavored whipped creams and peppermints and you know like the charcuterie boards but for hot chocolate right sure yeah and i see that and i see all these fancy cookies and i see champagne cocktails and bing crosby and i don't want my kids to be involved in that that's not gonna be that's not gonna be good so i invited some other parents over and i told them that they could bring their kids but it is not a kid party and i am not planning anything for their kids and you know sort of a enter at your own risk cookie situation right so is the is the party fancy or are the cookies fancy or are both things fancy? If people feel so moved to present themselves fancily, then awesome. Got it. Okay. But also if they feel the need to just wear sweatpants, then I will consider that to be plenty fancy. Perfect. Mostly I just mean that there won't be grimy little kid fingers in our food. Got it. So like a person could be like, say, if I were able to attend, I could wear my glitter Crocs and I would be right in the, the right right mode got it yeah that's i feel like that's probably about our target audience right there it's glitter crocs. got it yeah yeah perfect yeah every year i just half of me wants like a huge martha stewart christmas and half of me is like it's wake me up in january uh, anyway we'll see yeah we get pulled in both directions yeah that's right all right should we introduce our guests for the week I guess we should. 
Hello, everybody. Today, we are excited to be talking to Krista Arnson, who's joining us for today from Montana. And Krista, we start each of our interviews with the same question as a way to introduce yourself. So we always ask, what are you growing, which can cover livestock and kids and crops and businesses and all kinds of other stuff. So what are you growing? Well, good morning. Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Growing lots of things. I'm growing I have two little kids, so we are growing them uh, here rurally uh, in central Montana. Uh, So we have a growing family, a boy and a girl. Knox and Neely are their names. Uh, They are in school, kindergarten and second grade. And we also grow on the ranch uh, registered Angus cattle. So we sell Angus bulls. in the spring, my husband does, that is his business, and I help with that, uh, and that is constantly a growing and evolving business. Um, so we have cattle, and we grow, we like to say we grow, we're more ranchers than farmers, so we have just a limited crop that we have, amount of crops. So uh, mostly ranching is is what we're involved in, um, and then business, uh, the the ag business for the cattle. And then I have my own growing um, small business um, about uh, agricultural education for for young children. Uh, And so that is growing as well. That's been two years in the making, but um, we're continuing um, getting um, my little activity boxes out there. So we'll talk more about that, but lots of growing around here. Yeah, there's a lot of different growing things. So I know people don't always want to talk specifics when it comes to numbers of livestock or acres or things like that. But can you give people kind of an idea of the scale of ranch that we're talking about? It doesn't have to be exact, but it's hard to ask those questions because not everyone wants to talk numbers. And I get that. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, we do get asked that quite a bit. And um, I did marry into a established ranching family here in central Montana who had been selling cattle for a while. Um, our total ranch acreage um, is, is quite large here. Um, we we uh, sell 200 Angus bulls, um, just the yearlings in the spring. Um, and then when we calve out, um, moms and calves, we have quite a few pairs, um, about 600, uh, mama cows, uh, to calve out. Um, so yeah, quite, it's pretty big operation here. Um, all family run and, uh, supported with, with family. Um, my husband and his sisters are here and then his, and my, my in-laws and then his, other side, all of his cousins are here with their families and they work all together. Um, and so total ranch acreage is about 19,000 acres. So lots of family. And we're all out here. <laughs> we call it like a compound almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Katie and I sometimes joke that we're on compounds, but there's not nearly that many family members. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that. It sounds like, but yeah, we all live here and we all have our own houses um, and uh, live within a mile of each other, um, just kind of spread out where, where the cattle need to be. So um, yeah, it's very family oriented and ran. We do need to come up with a different word for it because compound sounds a little standoffish. Little a little culty. We can say it. Like <laughs> standoff at the government standoffish, not just like 
that's what they're like. It's it, that's what we like. It's a, like we we have the same buildings we share for working cattle and the same corral setups and uh, the main buildings where we have the sale. So it's like we're all centrally located. And we just live here and meet there. Yeah. So maybe more of a, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know a gathering site. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. We can, we'll work on that. I don't. We'll we'll all think on that. <laughs> so other question, Krista. I know that. Yellowstone has been a huge thing, the show. I don't watch TV because I don't have the patience for it, but it seems to be a, a cultural phenomenon. Why do people assume that cowboys stay clean? Have you noticed this? Like, It's like normal that other cattle farmers would smell bad, but the TV cowboys always look like they probably smell good. And I'm just wondering like, how false that is because... Yeah, and their clothes are pressed and yeah their jackets are like so brand new and stylish and their jeans are pressed looking and uh we do not watch Yellowstone so um we did a few episodes uh, my husband's name is Kevin and so and then I like Kevin Costner as an actor he's one of my favorite actors and they have the same name so I'm like oh I like that Kevin but we did not get into the the Yellowstone series um just some of the 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 cat the live things with animals were not as realistic and so it's just kind of like uh that's I don't know not our we're not going to watch that um depiction of things yeah it's probably like I'm sure most doctors couldn't watch Grey's Anatomy or uh, you know <laughs> lawyers probably can't watch legal shows there's there's not enough that's uh that's realistic to really make it fun to watch and just calving when they're out there they yeah it's not they didn't get dirty and you're like oh sometimes you're covered you know from ear to toe like with everything and so it was just not real life and and uh, they didn't do things as some Mo Montana ranchers or other surrounding state ranchers do and bring them cattle close to home to calve them out keep a better eye on them and they're just out in a in a field and it's gorgeous out and and so yeah they do look really clean you know it's like but what hard work did you do um you're not really demonstrating that so so we yeah not not into the yellowstone <laughs> i guess if if actual farmers and ranchers are generally trying to decrease the amount of drama it doesn't make a very good dramatic series to have people like doing things to make their lives easier yeah so that makes yeah so you got to have that aspect in there right so to keep yeah, everyone entertained and, and viewers continuing to to show up weekly. But yeah, if we just like maybe had more conversations with real life, yeah, ranchers around the area and and had maybe a better, I don't even know, like someone, a spokesperson or someone to come in and be like, this is real life. And let's depict that um, some better conversations there about the ag industry and especially calving and and when you have live cattle being born. Um, but but that's okay. <laughs> Arlene, I guess there's a real lack of dairy farming films and and TV. But I guess, you know, the the dramatic scenery and such in a parlor would or in tie stalls would kind of be lacking. Yeah, yeah. Le less fun and and just like looping back there every 12 hours. <laughs> yep. Just be a lot of cow butts. Here we are in the parlor again. Yeah. <laughs> 
they should have some of that in part of the industry shown. I that's all I watch on on social media. Is all my a lot of my followers are are dairy farmers, and I am just like enthralled with with the process of a lot of things. And and like I didn't have all the information about it, you know. And so I had to start watching and learning and asking questions. Um, and that's the same for other people. Just ask questions, you know. Um, be informed. Um, and that would be one area that they could bring to light for sure the 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 dairy industry i feel like a movie about dairies would be kind of like groundhog day though yeah you know 12 hours later doing it again right <laughs> but yeah it is but at least it yeah you know where it's coming from you know i think that's part of one of the big misconceptions is like well here it is and if it has to take that much time to show the same thing over and over for it to maybe hit home or you know make an impact that's might be needed but yes repetitive <laughs> So, Krista, where did you grow up, and what is your what is your ag background? I grew up just two hours away from where we currently live on the ranch in Great Falls, Montana. Um, and my my dad was in the Air Force, so I did travel quite a bit in the military um, when I was younger. And my mom is from from there, and she met him at the Air Force base. So I did travel, but I graduated back home there when he retired, um, and then I went. I wanted to go into psychology um, and be a clinical psychologist because I just love visiting and getting to know and people and reading people. And that's what I wanted to do. But after working with special needs students in high school, uh, I went wanted to work, go and be a special ed teacher. So eventually changed from psychology to special ed and did not grow up egg at all. Like I was city. um, had friends who were involved in a few things like with 4-H and FFA, but that was just not for me. Um, I just wanted to really just help individuals. You know, we didn't have livestock, so that wasn't important, but helping in other means um, with students that were struggling or unique learners. So I did go to school and got a special ed degree with preschool through 12th grade. Um, And then I continued on and got my master's degree from MSU Billings is Montana State University Billings here in Montana um, and got my master's in special ed. And um, that's where I started teaching here in central Montana, special ed job and met my husband here. Um, So that's but no ag background at all. I was helping in another realm um, in education um, and then decided that my husband was like, do you want to move here and teach, teach in our small community? And I said, absolutely. And then that's kind of where it took off for me learning about the egg uh, industry more. So you're basically a Hallmark Christmas movie, you know, like city girl moves to a small town. And like-, <laughs> like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Actually. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, and I love Hallmark. Oh, yeah. That storyline will never get old. The same one every time. Um, I love it. Every every single, every movie. Um, yes, I did get invited here and went out to dinner from other teachers um, who introduced me to my husband at a breast cancer awareness fundraiser. And then the Arnson family, um, my husband's family donates and, and, and wants to support that cause. So we met there. So it's even more kind of like a little love story um, as a fundraiser and then I'm like well I'm a teacher um I teach special needs and he's like well there's a need for that here um and it wasn't like oh hey come live on the ranch and you know um I want you to be my ranch wife and support it's like I still want you to do your own thing um 
because there are jobs here and that is a need here in the rural areas. And so it's kind of like a fairy tale now that I talk about it out loud um, that all just fell into place here. So I need to know, though, if we're going to if we're going to make a Hallmark movie of this, did you have the like flashy big city boyfriend with the pressed suits who tried to woo you back? But you were like, no, no, cowboys. Uh, I did have a high school yeah, boyfriend. Uh, not so like business professional, um, like an engineer, I guess. Yeah, a city job, an engineer, um, a constructional engineer who was city all the way developing things. So yeah, big change. Yeah. went to the, the country boy, the cattle man. Um, I race cattle and we live out in the middle of nowhere. Just kind of struck my fancy. So <laughs> just live in your Hallmark dream. I love it. Yep. And I, I didn't move right away. I, yeah, I did live separate for a little bit. What was that transition like for you becoming the, you know, like the ranch wife once the Hallmark movie ends, right? And the you guys are together, but the vision of that and the reality are a little different sometimes. Yes, because it took me a year to to get here and because um, I did sign a contract in a smaller community and I wanted to honor that and not leave my preschool uh, unique needs children. So I did do long distance in the night got to come and experience the lifestyle. Like, can I really do this? Can I be here? Um, I think though, I didn't realize how much driving I would do and how many miles I was going to put on a vehicle kind of shocked me for my little, my little uh, car that I had, my Ford Focus that I had as a teacher, um, how many miles um, you put on to get from point A to point B for, for the business, um, for the ranching, for cattle working, um, shipping and all that. So that was a huge adjustment is how many miles behind the windshield. Um, but I, I like the peace of mind when I am here and out on the ranch. Um, so I was looking for maybe some downtime, um, and some just tranquility to me instead of the hustle and bustle in the city. Um, so I was ready for the transition. Um, yeah, just knowing that you have to kind of plan ahead of time how many minutes it's going to take to get from here to there because you have to drive 30 miles. And and then if you need milk or eggs, you got to plan that before you leave the city, you know, because um, you might not get there for a while. So, yeah, that's right. Um, so like you said, you work in special education for those of us or listeners who have kids who might require some extra needs at school, especially like you said, in rural areas, sometimes that's a place where there might be gaps or it's harder to have access to the services that that we might need. So how do we effectively advocate for, for our kids who might have some extra needs when it comes to education or, or their unique requirements at school? Right. They're, yeah. Unique learning and very individualized. Um, yeah. It, that is a struggle in rural, in rural areas, in rural America, um, having the right support staff or interventionists. But I'm finding um, now, because I, I am doing that a little bit for our co-op here, is traveling and, and being supportive um, in schools and just having good conversation with your teachers and your staff. Um and say, hey, I saw this or or I read about this. Can we try this? Um, even though there might not be the numbers of support staff, I feel in the rural schools, like a, a high population of staff that can be there. 
even just having a conversation with a team um, about implementing some things is a good place to start because you have, you know, just talking in small numbers because people are so close to each other and have such a good community relationship in schools, out of, you know, out of schools in the town. Um just talking with them and say, can we try this or set this up? Um, or I read about this or um, something that we can work on this as a team. Um, I think more people are willing to to do that and to, and to try different interventions more than, oh, we don't have enough people or we don't have the staff. It's like, what's what do we have and how can we establish a really good working team to go forward um, with with interventions. And I find that a lot of towns don't have the numbers, but they are making really good impacts on things because they sit down and lay everything out. And they and they care overall, generally, about the students and, and their well-being. So just um, having good conversations and bringing information into schools is, is a good place to start. I have to say, as the, as the mother of a kid who did early intervention for speech issues, I hate this concept of calling, you know, health professionals and teachers and that like, oh, they're superheroes. They're such saints because it feels like that's such an easy way to dismiss the need to support those people and that it is on mm-hmm. the rest of the community as well to put effort into that. Mm-hmm. But the amount of work and dedication and passion and care for our entire family that I saw from those people was incredible. And mm-hmm. knowing, I don't think we were ever told no or that something was impossible. There was a lot of, well, we don't really have the resources, but we'll figure it out, you know. And uh, seeing the dedication that other people had to my kid and what that meant for our family was incredible. And just as a shout out to all the people who are doing that hard work, it's, you know, three-year-olds are tough enough. Three-year-olds who don't talk are that much more and it's incredible oh yeah and that early intervention that's like a lot of students are you know at that younger age are able to get identified and qualified and and assessed um from the staff and then yeah work together you know most of them going into school age then I've already had some interventions and I like I always say I'm just like your helper teacher like I'm not a super I just like I I'm not I don't yeah, not the superhero. I just want to work with the students the best that I can with what we have. So if that means being creative in different ways and and implementing things that are kind of a little off the wall because you don't have resources, that's okay. But that doesn't make me any a superhero. We all work together. And so with going with that means like when they get to school age, so many people in your communities and your in your buildings have already worked with them. So they've already made huge gains and they're going to continue doing that as they get into that kindergarten for second, third grade. And then maybe there isn't a need for that support, but especially in the small, I mean, our school is, is growing because it, it's a, it's a, it was just rebuilt and, and um, a big project, but um, like a hundred kids are mostly K-12. And so you are with those kids, their whole schooling career in some of these small towns. And so it's like, let's, let's see what we can do together. Um, and so a lot, I think smaller rural areas see the bigger picture um, than, than some of the larger districts with, with higher populations. Um, it's just year to year. But rural America and, and the heart of our, our communities, I think, is the school. And they see where we can get from that age to all the way to graduating almost. 
and they care year to year. And and so that's why I'm not in the classroom every day anymore as a classroom teacher. But if I can go and help these small towns grow and make progress, that's that's what I love doing. So that's kind of where I am, just like an interventionist um, and giving the tools that they need in their small towns. Well, and I think too, you know, there's, there can still be such a push of, you know, well, so-and-so didn't talk or read or whatever until they were 16 and then they became Einstein. You know, like there's such a, a push to let kids develop at their own rate, which is absolutely a great thing. But little ones, you know, their brains are exploding already. They are literally never going to have a better time to learn things. And one of the things I was really impressed by was how there's no stigma in three-year-olds to have somebody come in and work with them. You know, it's somebody new is here and that's cool. And, you know, and why wouldn't you address an issue when they're a year behind in development instead of waiting until they're eight Mm -hmm. years behind in development? You know, Mm -hmm. and it was... Yeah, it was incredible seeing what they could do with so few resources to really my kid never, never stops talking. Now, I actually ran into her speech therapist in Walmart a couple weeks ago and she wanted to know how she was doing. And I said, when she started intervention, she was three and had five words. Nothing. Just didn't talk. Couldn't be bothered, basically. Um, And I told her speech therapist that I wanted a refund because my kid talks in her sleep now. I was like, you guys, <laughs> I need you to reel this back a little bit <laughs> and see if you can get her to. You're like, wow. Yeah. Look where we went. Right. Yeah. They, it was effective. <laughs> Tell yeah. you what. She's making up for it. She is. And that's sometimes all it takes. I, you know, and I'm not a speech path, but I do work in our, in our co-op where we travel and, and support and uh, sometimes like when I go in, I work mostly with like fine motor skills that are lacking. Um, students aren't developing where they should. And I just there am as support and, and kind of de- deter from uh, occupational therapy um, referrals. If we just kind of work on all these fun, fine motor skills, um, we don't need that, that therapy unless it's really, you know, they do qualify. But it's like, I get to go in and like, it's having fun with them. So even at three, I'm just like, I'm just like, as long as you build a relationship with them and you can have conversation or you, you know, even if it's nonverbal for a little bit, you are still making gains. You are still teaching them, um, good communication you are role modeling you're modeling or you know for them what this looks like so you're not sitting you know physically sitting there and then drawing out words or or constantly working with their hands just being there is an intervention in itself and so and that's why i just the early childhood age is so important to me um and you've experienced that when you had a kiddo starting it's like that's all it takes to get the kind of the ignition the spark started um and so that's where I go in and work with the, the the early kinder kind of is what Montana calls it now, early kinder groups. Um, but it's not work to me. It's like fun and play and progress is, is seen. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Arlene, did you want to address what that looks like with older kids as well? Or not? I like I... <laughs> Um, do you work much with olders or is your expertise, like, I know you said your, your degree went up to, to older kids, but is, are there. Yeah, I've worked with, yeah, when I was the K-12, um, 
special educator for all grades in this small community. I had all, you know, various students, different ages, different, uh, different qualifications for the state. So yeah, I worked with like every age in special ed. Mm -hmm. So I guess more specifically, like say when you've got kids who are in high school, um, it's hard to, I'm going to speak from personal experience here, to push my one child to advocate for himself, but also to know when to step in because those kind of natural points with the teachers aren't as available as they used to be. You know, I'm not I'm not in the school as much as when he was young. Um, I don't have quite as much contact. And it's sometimes, you know, the response I get at the end of the day is everything's fine. And then you find out a week or two later, maybe everything's not fine because <laughs> he's not communicating with me. And the teachers are kind of, maybe we'll let things go a little bit longer. So do you have any advice on how to to support our kids maybe who need a bit of extra help in that kind of those older ages, but also let them kind of have their independence at the same time. Right. It's like a really hard balance. Yeah. And I have, I've have worked through with a few students like this and self-advocating. I've always made a goal. Um, even if they needed it or not on their documents, it's like, can I show you what this looks like by modeling? Hey, this is how you talk to a teacher in the hallway and we'd go model that or may I ask, can I have your attention after class I'm not going to bring it in front of the, the the class right now um can we talk out in the hallway when we're done just modeling what that looks like as adults communicate and and then showing that for kids so just that's kind of what we did for my my older kids um and then I did a lot of check in check out like with forms um Google Forms even um, I've done where the teacher just fills out a quick thing and it went it was collaborated with the parent and myself. Um, so that can just go straight to an email because that's kind of where we are with technology now. Um, and so using that to your advantage, um, just a quick little reference. Um, and then a lot of kids I've learned have their cell phones now <laughs> and to use your calendar and if they're not super organized like a type a or you know there's some executive function skills that they are lacking um showing how you can use your phone to to support <laughs> and not always get on for for other things and so i think just showing that what that looks like look here's your calendar here's where we're going to set that this is due this is when we're gonna maybe have a conference with the 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 teacher weekly. Um, you know, this assignment is you got to start on it. So just using what they have with them to their advantage. Um, but self-advocating, I feel, is always just a conversation and building rapport together before you can implement that. Um, and when parents ask, you know, to step in, um, I think you want to see your your own student succeed, you know, try on their own because that's what you want to foster that independence. But if you feel like, oh, the you know, he feels misguided or misunderstood, absolutely, as a parent, start you know, have the conversation with the teacher at any time. It doesn't, you know, I you know feel that you. If you don't communicate at all, I think things will get not worse, but. They're not going to improve. Not yeah. where you'd see that. Right. So you have to constantly just stay in touch with them. And I think the teacher knows that how much you care. Um, 
Because I think nowadays they'd rather have parents care and communicate and be on the same team than ones who are completely disengaged and not involved at all. And, And I see that too. So I think staying on top of things is better than, yeah. So just keep communicating. Yeah, I know with my son, we've we've talked about using the calendar, his calendar before. And I think, yeah, it probably is one of those things where I just need to sit down and be like, all right, what's coming up in the next little while? And yeah, for a little while, show him how to use it. And then hopefully, yeah, over time, then have him do that himself. Yeah, And sometimes not even the whole calendar dates, like sometimes it's just setting a timer and hey, we're going to work on this for just the 15 minutes. Just set it using that timer to your to on your phone to go off, uh, you know, or say this is when you're going to work on this at home. You know, I like my expectations for my kid. We they come in and we do reading together or their sight words or their spelling words like right away when we're eating snack. And just even that 10, 15 minutes like right away, um, that connection after school fosters that home to school relationship. So your kids are seeing you caring about their education. They're going to take that and also care show that caring aspect in the schools with their teachers. So that's I look at that. Um, but my kids are littler still, but it'll get it'll change as they get older, I'm sure. <laughs> so, Krista, you had told us um, about your business, the Rural Resource Room. How did you start that? And what is it? Tell us about everything about your third baby. I wanted to do something ha- to about our ag industry that incorporated like hands-on learning for the the early childhood age because I felt that was kind of like a group of kiddos um, that I'm familiar with and comfortable with that maybe might not understand egg. You might not maybe learn about a lot of things until you do get into school age when they read some stories about you know the the business and farming and gardening and growing and and all the things but what could you do for that early childhood age? So when I did leave the classroom at our rural community, um, I had a special door, a wooden door on my classroom before the the new building got started and renovated because now our school is, is a multi-million dollar school um, in Winifred in the, our community um, from a private d- donation, a donor. Anyway, so the old door I got to keep um, and I had this idea that I wasn't going to be a resource teacher anymore in the classroom probably ever again. Um, So I asked to keep the wooden door and that is what I used to name the business, the Rural Resource Room, um, that it was my last piece of me teaching in the classroom. Um, But this would be a way, the logo, the door that I could still educate in people's homes by creating the the rural resource room activity boxes that I can send to families and to to moms and dads and grandparents and um, other family members to teach their kiddo from me still, even though I'm not the teacher, I'm providing them the the um, the work and the hands-on materials to be their own resource teacher. Um, and I don't look at resource as being any with unique needs or special needs, just that you are a resource for the individual you're working with and supporting them. Um, and it just happens to come from a rural mom, ranch wife, educator. Uh, so the door from the building is my logo for the rural resource room. Um, and then I sat down with my husband to think about 
everything we do on the ranch and how I can make that appropriate for for early learners to learn about our lifestyle um, with these boxes. So what age range are they targeted for? You said younger ones, but like kind of up to what age do you think they're best for? They, I usually tell um, families and, and people who ask three to six. So just like when they get to kindergarten and start working on some more of the, the, the whole word reading and phonics and stuff, it, that, that's probably the end of, of the activities that are working on fine motor and letter recognition, number recognition. Um, that would be more something that would be carried on when they got to school then. Um, so these would be things just to work on um, at home, just quick activities, um, ideas for parents to do. So I send you a few, but you can also carry on with that. Say, oh, that's what they were working on. I can do that on my own with with the, the child. Um, so basically just an idea to help uh, families who might not know what to start with or what to work on um, to develop some of those those fine motor skills and those early, um, those pre-academics. But it also is egg-related. So on top of that, there is that egg um, component of what we're doing on the ranch. Um, so each box is something that we're doing or we've done on the ranch at different times and different seasons. Sure. Can you tell us some of the different themes? Like if someone was looking looking at, uh, and can you buy, you could buy just one or you can get like some like different deliveries at like, is it like a subscription box type setup? Like what are your different options? I do have that. Yep. That's usually the most common is like, uh, I have nine boxes right now. I'm working on a few more, um, but nine total ones that are different themed of the things. And, um, they came out pretty quick and then it's kind of got busy and, um, I'm still developing a few more of how to make this hands on. That's the kicker is like, I have all these great ideas, but how can I put it in a box and, and, and have it make sense or be realistic enough for kids to learn from it? Um, so what, like one of them is just the ranching box and just different things in there that cover like what ranching looks like and, and, um, you know, different balloons, animals, uh, different brandings. Kids can learn about branding um, on cattle and what that means for for finding them out in pastures and why we do all of that. Um, yeah, just kind of teaching um, about, cow yeah, what cows eat and how they're fed. And then sometimes what we do with cattle, how they are produced for beef, just all educational things um, that that makes sense for that the little kids to to kind of understand sure yeah so several different boxes oh to go this because subscriptions are the most popular where they order several at a time and i ship them monthly um so you just get a different box every month so nine would be the total right now that you can purchase nine months worth um and then some are just individual one box per month or i just need a quick little uh thing to do with my grandchild so i just need one box to work on some things um but most of them have been subscriptions with multiple boxes. And I'm guessing it has everything in it you need for all your activities. You're not going to get it and then have to drive 30 miles to town to go and uh, buy supplies and stuff, right? So yeah, that is a huge plus for our uh, rural families, right? 
yes, everything's included. I have all it prepped for you. That's why I say I do the prep work for you. Um, so it is fun, hands-on crafts and, and learning. You might have to have a glue stick or scissors, I do say. Um, and I'm hoping families have those. If not, we can always have that conversation about it. Um, and I can provide those, but, uh, everything else you'll need for your writing tools or other tools to create are, um, the supplies are in there. Um, each box. I know you probably don't have a favorite, but can you give us an example of an activity that you really enjoy doing with your kids that's related to ag or that you put in one of your boxes that you feel like is like a really fun one? Just, I'm just thinking, give someone an idea for one of these long winter nights now that the time has changed and our kids are spending more time inside. So when we were talking about Yellowstone earlier and how it's like, they're so clean and, and just came out of the shower and their clothes are, uh, I have one where it's like a muddy letter writing. And so it's cattle with, with uppercase letters on it and the recipe. So each box does have a recipe where you get to do something together with the adult and the child. And so in this box, in the, in the autumn box, you get to make the muddy mess, which is is pudding essentially in, in the, the dirt. Um, and so you take that recipe that's provided and you make those things in the kitchen. And then the cattle are listed out with their uppercase letter. And I send Q-tips with you, all the tools that you'll need. And then you dip the Q-tip in the mud you made together and you write on the cattle um, because they are not clean all the time. Not every cattle is a show cat, you know, a show cow or heifer or steer. Um, some of us know what that is in the, in the show, the showing realm. Um, but real life out here, they're dirty. We don't brush them, you know, they, like we try to comb them, but that's not all the time. So anyway, so taking what we really are when we work cattle, that they they can make them dirty and muddy and that's not always what they see on tv and in other shows or pictures um and so that's really fun and yeah it can get a little messy but that's 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 the point they're learning uh so then if they trace the letter with the the mud then they're also working on their their letter formation so it's still learning but it's hands-on and fun and it's hey i made a cow dirty. I learned about cows. Um, they're muddy. And we did a an activity together as a family in the kitchen. Uh, so that is a fun one that I like to to share with. Yeah. Plus your, yeah, then your fine motor skills too, right? Holding onto the Q-tip and using, using something. Sometimes even our kids who are hesitant to use pens and pencils, if it's just something else that has, you know, like you said, have mud, or maybe manure, depending on it, right? Right. So that's kind of what, yeah. But I was like, yeah. how can I make it as realistic without saying? So that's like the, yeah. like, well, that's good enough. Like, I don't know what, I'm not sending any samples. I do send some other grain and wheat and stuff, but not that sample. Um, no, no, that's okay. Yeah. Pudding's, pudding's better if it's in the house. So Krista, I'm just envisioning your line of boxes for high schoolers that could be like, the chemistry of stain removal or, yeah. you know, <laughs> physics for, right. I, the reason I asked about Yellowstone actually was I saw somebody's Instagram post the other day about how ranching wasn't like Yellowstone. Uh, the rancher was out cutting a cow out of a, you know, a, a cattle guard in his driveway in the middle of the night. She had apparently decided to try walking across it and had gone straight down into it and he was like you know this is what you never see on yellowstone so you can work out like the physics of getting her back out of there or getting your show whites clean or you know there's all sorts of opportunities there 
And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my husband and I sometimes joke too, like no one has ever tried to like kill us over our land yet. Like they seem, there seems to be a lot of death and destruction around people wanting their property. And we, we don't usually have nearly as much in many, no one has had to be sent to the train station over uh, wanting, uh, wanting our property yet. So uh, maybe Montana land is much more valuable. I don't know, but uh, it's not an issue for, for us here. Right. It hasn't come to that. There is a lot of, of people coming to look and to discuss it. But yeah, it's not as violent as they make it sound. And it's usually like a yes, no, does this work or not? It's a done deal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They probably don't even see each other in person, to be honest. So uh, that I know it's that's funny. <laughs> so, Krista, I know, um, especially becoming a first time parent in a rural area can be really isolating. So we're wondering what that transition was like for you? Well, I kind of like to do my own thing. I missed being social for a long time. Like I was like, oh, I want to run in and go to the cute little coffee shop and, um, you know, and, and now I do do that, but I do it also to do errands and get groceries. And so I plan a- around that and I do like to have some, some downtime for myself. Um, I, the isolation, like you can turn to social media and like kind of visit and get to know people online and who are going through the same things as you. Um, a lot of the family here, they are, their wives are working wives. And so they do have that career and career oriented women who like to do their own things. So that proves just a strong woman and they're leaving the ranch and doing what they wanted to do. Um, and so we've all kind of done that and had a career and then been home for a little bit and gone back and, and just being supportive of one another and, and what we choose to do off the ranch, um, and supportive when we are working on the ranch. Um, I like being here alone. Uh, I like to have my time down. Um, but I, I like to volunteer at the school, so I still try to find ways to make, to have social interactions. So I'm not just like by myself. And sometimes I'm like, I didn't talk to any adults today and just my children, you know, uh, ha- try to have an adult conversation once a day or if I can. And, um, but yeah, hard, just the traveling, I think is hard being here. Uh, I mentioned that, um, but everything else, um, you know, I feel if I find myself feeling a little lonely and um, even though I do, I don't mind it. I do go for drives and and find my husband um, and just whether he wants me there or not, I show up and like, let's go do something. You know, like I kind of know what their plan is for the day, but I'm like, hey, I just wanted to come and and tag along with you. And and whether it's asked or not, I think you making that effort is huge um, for ranch wives who are feeling kind of uneasy about things. Just just go and do it and and show up um, if you're able, because um, I think that you learn a lot just by being there. Um, so whether you have conversations about it or not, or you really know, it's just just go, just go do it, um, and then bring kids if you can. Um, but yeah, just be supportive. So your kids are school age now. When they were little, what did childcare look like for you? Or were you home for a while? Or what were those early years like? Because when our kids are in school, that can be kind of a, it all, all of a sudden opens up for the, like, I was a stay at home parent. It opened up a huge amount of my day <laughs> once, once I finally got kids in school until their schools were locked down again. But, um, but what did that look like when they were, when they were little people? 
I taught more full-time when I had my oldest, Knox. Um, so I did have to drive 30 miles for daycare a couple days a week and did like an in-home daycare. Um, um, Sister-in-laws helped on a day. My mother-in-law helped on a day. Um, my husband, so that was when he was young. So I did work full-time in the in the special ed room Um when he was little, I'm like, I'm going to keep working. I, this is my passion right now. I'm going to try to make it work. And, and then when I had my second, um, I did slow down a little bit and stayed home. Um, cause it was a little harder with two, <laughs> uh, and knowing that I need to put my attention with them was hard to leave kiddos who needed support in the classroom. Um, so that was a hard decision to make, but I knew it was, it was best for, for the little ones. Um, so the, when I went like back part-time, I had people help, friends help. Um, like my husband was so good at taking them with him a lot of the time. So we, we do have, we are lucky there. He could go and then work half day and come back and spend time with them at the home, at the house if they couldn't be there the whole time. Um, so we just like, can you take them? Can you pick them up? Um, the family helps support with picking up 15 miles away from the school. <laughs> so it's just kind of a team effort, um, like a tribe then, you know, having a tribe help raise your children. And that is very true here for us. Um, it's not just me. It's not just other ranch family wives. I help get their kids too. Um, so it's just, you got to do whatever you can to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels like it's that much more complicated sometimes in rural places when there isn't, there isn't always a consistency of care. I mean, obviously there's, and there's so much planning and logistics that go into that and making sure that the kid doesn't get forgotten <laughs> somewhere. You're like, oh, I was sure that it was someone else that was doing that today. But, but uh, yeah, there's so many different pieces to to making sure they're they're cared for and everyone gets where they need to do and get the, their their all of their jobs done. What's your favorite part of raising kids on the ranch? Oh, my favorite part is watching the, like learning through my children's eyes because um, I didn't grow up this way at all. Like, <laughs> so I didn't have any of these experiences or exposure um, to the rural living and, and with livestock. And so like, that's kind of like what, when I see them learn and help and, and do chores, I, they give me the ideas to, to put in the activity boxes. So watching them learn through their eyes, you know, so I'm almost like a kid again, a child learning all of this lifestyle, um, and this exposure that I didn't have as a, as a girl, a young girl. And, um, yeah, just, and my husband is just so good about explaining and working with them. So I'm like, then he's essentially teaching me, um, the adult here. Um, but yeah, just watching season to season with through Knox and Neely's eyes and, um, how eventually as they get older, they're going to work more. They are seeing what hard work looks like. Um, they have responsibilities. And so that just starts now and just continues until they get older. But yeah, basically watching them do what I couldn't do or didn't know how to do. Um, and then with that, I am, I'm learning and then I can, I can advocate and teach other people's kids as well, um, learning that firsthand. So what is your biggest parenting struggle? Oh, my biggest parenting struggle. Um, sometimes when I've taught with students with unique, like unique, unique alert has unique learning, you know, 
they're unique learners, sorry, in the in the classrooms. I have a lot of patience for them. Uh, <laughs> and can just nothing really gets to be or under my skin or like, oh, you just are so calm and relaxed and you don't like let it bug you and they're looking for a reaction. But my own children, <laughs> I sometimes tend to get frustrated with them, right? Like uh, like expect expectations are higher. Um, you you want them to do things like right away. And I said, do this. And it's like, but in the other people's kids are just like so easy and we can make connections and and grow and but your own children sometimes test you and I think that's where I am at at this age they're their ages they're they're in school they're learning things they have friends various friends and and so my patience runs thin more and and that's where I am as a parent and and but school kiddos don't do that to me you know and you and you work with them hours at a time and then come home and I think that's a struggle for me personally is then the balance with my own children um and just kind of maybe taking a step back <laughs> like they've been in school all day too they've been working and they probably need a little sensory break as well like they need time to decompress and then I was like oh we got to do you know and so just keep like recognizing that in myself is is huge yeah Katie and I are doing lots of head nodding. You guys can't see us, but yeah. Yes, like, <laughs> yeah, we're agreeing. I feel like there's a lot to be said for that reminder that, you know, we're our kids' safe space. And so they're always going to be more for us than they are for anyone else. But it's hard when you don't have a safe space to blow off the energy that you're taking in from them. And I know for myself, you know, I work remotely. So my life is generally very, literally very quiet. And then my kids come home and there's stuff flying, there's shoes, there's tractors, there's, and they're just talkity, 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 talkity. And something about this time change, they now fall asleep fully dressed on the couch early, but then they've been up between five and six every morning since the time change. And I'm a morning person, but starting my morning with two little kids, just yakety yakety is just. <laughs> That's not how you want to start your day. It's a lot. And I think it's easier to deal with other people's kids because they go away. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. it's your kids. They're That's kind of the point mm -hmm. is for them not to just go away, but it doesn't make it easier to not wish they would sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like explaining and having good conversation, I think, with children and, and like say like this is how mommy is a learner. Um, mommy likes things quiet. You know, I like dim lights like I don't like the bright, you know, and like just but explaining that to kids makes them recognize that at school, too, that there are different type of learners, you know, and mommy likes this type of music playing uh, when we're doing supper. I don't want the TV on blaring, but like having that and like, oh, I recognize that my little guy's up early too, like clockwork at like 540 every morning for his whole life. <laughs> and so we know we have time. He cuddles with me on the couch with his blankies. So like that, mom, I need this time with you right now. Um, I'm awake, but I'm not going to ready to get in the shower or get dressed. You know, so I just like with little humans having having good conversation. This is how I work. It's usually quiet when I'm home all day. So can we have a little quiet time when you're home all day or when you get home? Um, yeah. So I just think having always just visiting with your children um, and, and showing them what that looks like for you and for them is just so important. Um, 
a good a good skill to start fostering. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. So what are some of your future goals when it comes to either the business, the ranch? What are you looking forward to with your kids? What's what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, the ranch is, yeah, we'll just keep on having our annual sale and selling some cattle and and raising the livestock and Black Angus, you know, that's our registered herd. So we'll continue with that. And then the business, I just overall with Rural Resource Room, I want to see these activities, which I didn't explain that earlier, was like agriculture plus activities equals activities. I want to see them get into more of like hands of of urban areas or, or families who are city or maybe suburban families. Um, who who don't experience this lifestyle or don't know quite about it and want to learn more um so just having edu- you know the the conversation and getting it out there and social media is the best i know how um someone might see it and that sparks something i just would like to see it um rural families are educated in this lifestyle and that's a lot of my the support and and families that buy is like oh, we just want a quick activity to do and and it's done and it's like but you guys are already kind of doing this you guys just don't recognize it yet like you do these things um but let's let's maybe try to get someone else involved who doesn't so that's a huge goal is mm-hmm. just homeschool families or um, families that are looking for something to do since they are not in public education currently um, or they're younger and they want to sit down with and have do learning at the table, you know, egg at the table. So I want to get it out there more. So just more exposure of it and where my passion is and... I'm thinking too for some of our uh, for far, some of our farm families listening. Maybe they have nieces or nephews or friends, mm-hmm. you know, that live in the city, and they're buying, you know, a birthday gift or a Christmas gift or something. You could give them something ag related that kind of both creates mm-hmm. a connection with those kids and be like, here's something about yeah the way our family works, and you know maybe they've come to the farm or the ranch a few times but yeah as a way to to connect with them and then also yeah we're always looking for ideas for what to get for for other people so that would be a good idea if listeners are looking for something for christmas gift or a birthday gift or something for for other kids in their lives that maybe don't don't know as much about ag as as their own do yeah absolutely that would be that's wonderful that all sounds wonderful that's exactly kind of what i'm envisioning down the road and and just you know agriculture isn't going anywhere we need this staple in our lives and and everyone else does whether they recognize that or not. And it's just continuing to start at that that early childhood age, um, I think makes a huge difference before they do go enter into school age or if they are going to continue education at home. There's just so many misconceptions about it and, and to kind of line those out in a positive direction. I feel you can do that with the hands-on learning um, and... and uh, yeah, just go from there. So that's, yeah, that's a huge goal. Um, And then, yeah, just keep being supportive with the ranch, my husband and with my children in their rural community and then other communities. So I just want to keep getting out there and intervening um, the best that I can. Well, and I think even for farm families, you know, as someone who's raising a kid who learned all of his letters and his colors and his numbers from tractors and tractor mm-hmm. magazines. You know, you slap a cow or a tractor on it and you could teach my kid anything, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there's a lot of that. And 
even in our small rural school district, there are so many kids who aren't growing up with any ag actively in their lives. Like they might see cows when they're driving somewhere, but mm-hmm. that's the extent of what they know about mm-hmm. them. And, you know, it's it's great to be able to connect them to something. Yes, that's true. Because there are families, yeah, there are families that do live in these, but they are not landowners or or mm-hmm. livestock owners or raisers or developers and and they are in the schools and um yeah and we do try to offer field trips to the ranch um and have um some more of the the urban in the bigger city closest to us come out they, they we did that this summer um and let them sit in the tractors and turn the light all the lights on and all the all the horns were honking and and they're like wow like we see them at the fairs and stuff but we didn't get to get inside of them and so so yeah just yeah just trying to to have people come out and visit um yeah and just say hey you're more than welcome to be here and to and to and to learn what from from us because we have this and we want to share that with others so so i added a question in here um it's coming up on the holidays and i know schools are underfunded that seems to be a pretty universal thing so i always try to you know help our teachers out with their classroom supply lists or you know whatever but what do teachers actually want for the holidays because I want to give them something for them, not just for their classroom, because it seems a little rude to be like, here's some poster board. Merry Christmas. You know, like, uh, that's not great. But (laughs) right. For projects. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if anybody really needs another coffee mug either. I, I would shy away from that. And, you know, bearing in mind that people are like, give them a Starbucks gift card. And I'm like, what? So they can drive 25 miles to the closest Starbucks? Like... What are they going to do with that? So what do they actually want? I would shy away from the coffee mugs too, you know. (laughs) They probably have some. And then a lot of teachers probably will go buy their own water bottle or mug and get it personalized themselves. I've seen a lot of that of like their water jugs have their name, you know. So you're right. Let's shy away from that. Um, I My favorite gift that I've gotten has always been flare pens, like those markers, like flare markers by Penmate. Uh, different colored I never wrote in red ever when I was teaching I just thought it was like well don't write on red in red but like pinks and purples and greens and all the fun little markers I loved them um to write notes and and things um so that goes with like a note a note pad maybe with their name on it like personalized or like so they can write notes to to families or parents or so I like that like that meaningful connection um with the writing or personalized writing things to to kids um I did get wine a few times bottles of wine <laughs> actually magically like ended up in my vehicle they didn't bring it into the school I was like oh, there's a basket and there's wine in here you know so that was from a very close mo- family friend um of a so leave your car unlocked for a few days just see what happens yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in the real school, yeah, so a nice bottle of wine showed up. And so that was extra special. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes I've had um, parents ask for a few photos of kids in the classroom, if if that's okay to share in like a little photo book. Um, there's so many different things nowadays on online, just a quick little, you know, even like a five, four by four, a little book of photos of their, what students have done with their teacher. 
uh, stuff like that is so meaningful and it doesn't just sit that, you know, on, on a shelf or anywhere. It's really meaningful, um, that they got to share, like documented their year together. So I think that's a fun idea. Um, and then if you do want to go with a coffee card, yeah, our Starbucks is like 32 miles away. Um, and I don't, I prefer to go to a local shop. So if there is a local one in your district, get like a one for the, like the smaller businesses. So I'm all, I advocate for that um, where they can go grab it. Yeah. Something that's close to the school. Yeah. So then if you want to give them a drink card, then they can go to the the local one. So that that's always fun too. So our local coffee shop closed. And what I'm hearing you say is to get them a gift certificate for the bar. Is that, I mean, I feel like that's halfway between a bottle of wine and a, the coffee shop, right? It's just like. If, as long as you know the person and that that would suit their lifestyle. Yeah. So we don't call the bar, we call it the cafe or the tavern. So yeah, that might be where they can still go eat a, a meal because uh, they do serve good food at our cafe. Uh, and then they could also have a beverage if they want from the tavern side. It totally would work out if you know that person well enough. And I would I would take it. I would not turn that down. Maybe I'll support our local pizza place. That would be a good one. Oh, that's a good one too. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Anything local or, and I have the kiddos make their own card or wrap it in their own wrapping is so meaningful too. Like, yeah, mommy went and got this for your teacher. Um, but now it's your job to let's be creative and like put it in a big box if you want. I Whatever. You wrap it. You tape it. You do all those skills that uh, we can work, you know, work on all those skills. But then the, the your kiddo can take it to the teacher. So it's just like all a group effort. All right. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. I never got to participate like in it. That's why I was like, um, I didn't get to go to like, I mean, went to a county fair, but I didn't participate with animals or anything. And so with my kiddo going through 4-H and starting, um, possibly showing steers down the road, um, because he's not quite old enough yet, but that's what the plan is. I think I could like my category would be like the, like the best show mom category and like put all my energy into that because I really don't know. Well, feels like there's a lot of competition in that category. <sighs> is there like I'm a I'm a dairy show mom, so we're not competitive. But uh, I don't know about those beef moms. Be, like uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I'd be like just uh, you know making sure we had the signs done. Like I don't know the name of the animal. Like just stay organized. Like can I be like the best 4-H organizer? I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. Starting out because I really don't know. That's why this was hard for me because we are. I don't know the expectations because um, Knox's would be it's still like a clover bud. Um, he's seven. You know, he will be eight in January, but he can't. We're not there yet for the the animals and the livestock judging. So I don't know. Um, Maybe you'll be most enthusiastic because you're you're gonna have to like you'll be the new one coming in. Like, tell me what to do. I'll help. I know. Yeah, 
and then like in a couple of years from now it'll be oh you know <laughs> starting ending like this yeah. is uh but the, i guess to start off yeah that'd be a great just most enthusiastic about being involved um and you want to get new faces involved right so i guess that would be a good start for us and then i'd have a lot to learn <laughs> um but just being organized being there i don't know i think we have to stay there for like a week in the camper so i don't know i might i don't know how it's gonna all go down but but most enthusiastic right now this year <laughs> yeah that's right before it even starts yeah. i feel like least burned out maybe would be would be good you know what am i getting myself into or the was like is this yeah am i crazy award blue ribbon for like what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right most willing to learn yeah no i yeah we're excited so uh, yeah we'll just go with that Hey, Katie and Arlene, I am calling with a cussing and discussing. Um, I just need to get out there why I am the only person in my family that cares that the house is semi-presentable, especially through the holiday season. I have three children. We have a dairy farm. Uh, they are 12, 10, and 7. And I told them this year for Christmas that I want their rooms clean, which right now, all three of them have separate rooms and you cannot see the floor in various places in any of their rooms. And no matter how hard I try or how much I preach or how much I try and lead by example by myself having a clean room and trying to keep the rest of the house semi-presentable, Mind you, I work a full-time job besides the farms. It's not always the easiest thing. Um, yeah, I just don't know how to get them motivated to make it a priority to at least, you know, put their clothes away when I ask them to and not just take them to the room and dump them on the floor and then two weeks later claim that those clothes are dirty even though they haven't worn them and then I proceed to rewash them and fold them and tell them to put them away in the cycle just continues and continues and continues. So uh, that is what I'm cussing and discussing today. Thanks for the show. I love it. And happy holidays. Let's go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. So as listeners know, we have an online platform called SpeakPipe where you can leave your cussing and discussing for us. Go to the show notes to find the link or you can send us an email and Katie and I will read it out. Katie, what are you cussing and discussing this week? technology arlene so we we got a new car and it's got all the fancy like you know your phone's supposed to hook straight to the the screen so like it shows the map up on uh, on the screen and yeah blah 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 but don't look at it too much because then you're distracted yeah well a i it only connects half the time and i don't know why and like I've had this ongoing issue with the headphones I wear for recording where it randomly plays music from my iTunes through my headphones, whatever. Usually during an interview. Yeah. Always during interviews, whatever. <laughs> but yesterday I went to pick up these two new guinea pigs uh, to join our, our other guinea pig. And I couldn't get the nav. I thought you were getting one guinea pig. Yeah. Well, chicken math, Arlene. <laughs> Things happen. You go to a guinea pig rescue and you end up with more. <laughs> I will not say mistakes were made, but um, 
decisions were made. Decisions were made. Anyway, I couldn't get the navigation to turn back off. I don't know why it wasn't connected to the car, but the navigation wouldn't turn off. And so the Google lady was still giving me directions in our front yard. And she was like, (laughs) make a U-turn and turn left. And like, lady, like I'm parked. I'm, I'm 50 feet from the house. And like, (laughs) yeah, I'm good. Even when I turned the car off, the navigation just kept going. And I was like, what if this is permanent? And she's just going to follow me around (laughs) forever. Like, stop walking. She's just going to continue to yell at you. You're in the wrong place. Actually, that could be really helpful for the neurodivergent folks to have some sort of navigation. So when I walked to the kitchen, it would be like, you came in here for a glass of water. Don't do anything else while you're in here. Go back to your office and get back to work. That would be awesome. Yeah. Just water. Uh, Krista, what do you have to cuss and discuss this week? I got the screen thing too. I don't even, like if I listen to an audio, I don't even run it through the car. I have to just keep it on my phone, turn airplane mode on and just set it. Cause I get, it come, yeah, like it starts off in the bedroom and I'm like, my audio books reading right now. I get really confused on that. And so. Sorry, mine the other day, my husband took my car and my phone connected. I was in the house and my phone connected to the Bluetooth in the car that he was in with the kids and started playing my murder podcast real loud in the car and he couldn't get it to turn off. And yeah, it's, it's always that the worst point I had that in a podcast the other day, got in with the kids and it was like, that is not the podcast I wanted to play with my children in the minivan. Um, <laughs> but I know it's how does it happen? And it won't play all the other times when you set it up and you're like, Oh, I'm driving into town my 30 miles. I want to know. I'm finally by myself. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not going to work then. Um, You know, cussing and discussing, I am just struggling with, and I don't know if you guys have that where you are both at. Um, My son has to read books quickly and rapidly and then take a test on them. And it, and I don't like it at all. And I've never liked it for students with special needs. I don't believe in it. And now I've been here for 14 years in this career of mine. And students should read for enjoyment and do more novel studies and group studies, um, a, a book reading together, and then slow it down no matter what their level is of, of level of reading they're at. They can still participate. If they can't read it, they can listen to it or have a discussion about it with comprehension questions. But this reading a book a day and then they run down and take it at the library, the test, I just don't, I just don't love it. And, and I'm seeing it in my own kids getting frustrated. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, do you guys have that where you are? That I'm in Ontario and I have never had to do that and my kids don't, but I can just, I feel anxious even just thinking about having, even myself, having to read something fast and then test on it. Like that just seems like something that would really just add more stress to, like you said, something that is supposed to be enjoyable and we're trying to raise lifelong readers, right? Not just uh, test them on their... And it's, it's called a program, but yeah, it's called a name, but I won't, you know, and they go pick out a book and then they're supposed to read it like three times. And then like, he's got to run down and get a hundred on it. And I'm like, what Mm -hmm. is the point of this? And I never thought that was best for non-typically developing peers anyway. So why are we like, why are we doing this um, for our regular typical too? uh, It's not fun for anybody. Yeah. No, because they struggle even if they are same age, you know, regular 
peers in their classroom, like my kiddo. And so I'm just like, he's he's like, I got to read this book and I got to go. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) like I just don't agree with this son and I'm so sorry. And then you're rushing to take the test. So are you rushed to get points or are you wanting to take it because you actually read it and understood what was being spoken, the, you know, written. Right. Or Yeah, you're trying to remember that it was just in your head and spit it out, but then it's going to disappear anyway. You don't have any retention. So I'm like, why aren't we reading books? Like I remember reading in, in elementary together and just slowing things down. Because that uh, when I was growing up, I don't remember seeing students with unique needs come and go in, in my classrooms where I was um, growing up. And so now they're coming and going and this and level. And I'm just like let's just slow it down and include everyone and not race down to the library and get on a computer. And so that's, I just am a little frustrated with, with that. That's horrible. I'm really, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong avid reader. It is very important to me that my kids Mm -hmm. enjoy stories and communication because you don't have to read Mm -hmm. with your eyes to be taking in Mm -mm. a story or information. So if your kid hates reading or hates listening to stories or hates whatever, it's either because your teaching sucks or your books suck. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, some of my daughter brings home a book every day and I'm very glad that they let her pick out what she wants because she's interested in it. Mm -hmm. But some of this shit should never have been published. It's so stupid. I can feel (laughs) my brain cells dying. My little pony books. I'm looking at you. There's no, and not in like a (laughs) fine classic literature kind of way, but just Mm -hmm. if kids hate your books, it's because your books are bad. Yeah, you could make My Little Pony books be good, but they're not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That style of book where it's just like, and she said, and he said, and yeah, like... And and then once they're readers, you can't skip over all the uh, inane details that you just want to skim. No, because now they know all those sight words, so they want to read them to be <laughs> yeah. successful. But like the overall concept is is poor, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or those books that are. Um, this is going to be my cussing and discussing, Katie. I'm reading chapter books with my youngest now, so I'm I'm out of them, thank the Lord. But like those those books that are based on a movie. Like I'm looking at Disney for these ones. It's like describes the entire Disney movie in like the book. And those ones are so boring to read. That's what the My Little Pony books are too. Like, could we not, we don't just need to do like the summary, like just tell the story, mm-hmm. <laughs> write, write a story, not. And then this happened because this is exactly what happened in the movie. If they watch the movie, that's cool. The book can be something different. Yeah. Bad children's books. Thumbs down. I know. And then just in pushing students to read quickly for points mm-hmm. to earn a prize or, you know, just uh, the mode. I see they're trying to motivate, but that is that is not how I see motivation working. And then they keep doing it here where we are and um, motivate in a different way or bring a different novel to light um, and keep your kiddos that leave for some specialized instruction with you. Like, I just I don't get it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Shame on the the program that makes you read and test and get points. Yeah. No points. No points for reading. Yeah. So it's not inclusive, not very inclusive. And so I don't like it. That sounds horrible. Agreed. All right. I think we are going to wrap up for today. Um, thank you so much, Krista, for joining us and for chatting with us and for sharing your passion for education and ag activities. <laughs> it was grasping for your word. I love it. Um, So if people want to find you online, where should they look you up? 
Uh, yeah, there are a couple places. Um, I'm active on Instagram, um, and that's the Rural Resource Room is my handle on there. Um, and I share a lot um, of personalized things from the ranch, too, along with tips and uh, educator tips and things about the activity boxes on there. And then I do have a website where you can purchase the boxes or take a peek, um, and that's uh, the ruralresourceroom.com. So I do have a site to check out. Thank you very much. It was great to chat with you. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch.